Hello, everybody, and welcome back to My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. This is our podcast devoted to Louis Mal's 1981 film, My Dinner with Andre, that doesn't star us. So why are we here? Well, let us explain. Well, the, the movie doesn't star us, and frankly, neither does this podcast. Uh, My Dinner with Andre is a film that is about two New York theater guys who have a long conversation. That's kind of it. You you know it. It's, it's as big as Star Wars. Well, it's referenced a lot. It has sort of entered the vernacular, but what we have found is that my Dinner with Andre is the kind of movie that is sort of uniquely suited uh, to conversation because it forces you to stop. It is not structured like any other movie. You're not constantly being distracted, dazzled, thrilled. You're actually encouraged to sit down, chill out, and think about stuff for about two hours while these two interesting people throw ideas out. And what we discovered when we reviewed this on an episode of Critically Acclaimed a couple of months ago was that it led to a really interesting conversation, not just about how the film is unique, but also about the various themes and philosophies that are discussed over the course of the film. And we decided we should open up this conversation to everybody and create a podcast for various people in and out of the film industry to talk about my dinner with Andre. And so we're inviting various people that we know, we've met, we admired, and we are saying, hey, have a conversation about my dinner with Andre, watch it or rewatch it if you need to, and we'll just post it here and we'll just get a collection mm. of a whole bunch of different people talking about the same film, talking about the same ideas and themes, and we think that's interesting. Well, because I think everyone will come to different conclusions about this kind of movie. I think... Having a conversation where you get to explore your own philosophy is a great way to host a podcast, but it's also a great way to get to know the people involved. Yeah. Uh, so in any case, you will not be hearing us on this podcast after this introduction is over. Uh, in case you're new, which would be a weird episode to start with, hmm. my name is William Bibiani. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold, and speaking for us today are... Uh, the Clay Keller and Ryan Marker of the Screen Drafts podcast. If you're unfamiliar with the Screen Drafts podcast, I highly recommend you check it out. It is a very fun show in which they, not dissimilarly to this podcast, except very dissimilarly to this podcast. In fact, you know what? It's not like us at all. But they bring in <laughs> guests. That's where the similarities end. They bring in guests every single week to do a competitive list of the best movies ever in a certain subgenre or from a certain angle and we Whitney and I did an episode of Screen Drafts a couple of weeks ago where we came up with a very interesting list of the best when animals attack movies ever made it was fun too it was very very fun we only got about half of the uh, selections on the list a piece and we got to challenge each other's selections and in the end we had an interesting list. We had an interesting list. There's a few films that I think everyone expected to be on there. There's a few films that nobody ever heard of. And there's a couple of films that really should have been on that list that aren't because, well, we made it weird. Because why not? I mean, why, yeah. why make it expected? you got to make it as unexpected as possible, especially when it comes to lists for posterity. Well, and I love... to hit people sideways with those things. And I love screen drafts for that. You get an interesting group of people. They had a great episode, uh, I think a month or two ago, where they talked about the best heavy metal episodes ever. And I kept waiting for Mandy to be mentioned. And it was never mentioned! Not once? Not once! I didn't understand it! They put, like, Bogus Journey up there ahead of Mandy. Well, to be fair, that film is about how... Hard rock will save the world. Hard rock? But Kiss, at that point, God gave rock and roll to you is not metal. No, that's one. That's as close to as Kiss gets to making a ballad. Yeah, like, I just... Mm. Metal? Eh, maybe? Kinda? Kiss. Mandy! Mandy should have been on the list, is my point. I love rock and Roll Nightmare wasn't on the list either. Mandy was one of the, is one of the very few films I've had the opportunity to re-watch, like, in the course of the last... Like five years. Mm. But in any case, uh, it's a very entertaining podcast. There's new podcasts every single week. Uh, they have a Patreon where they have exclusive shows over there as well. Uh, make sure you follow uh, Ryan Marker on Twitter, uh, MarkerRyan625. And Clay Keller is just at Clay Keller, C L A Y K E L L E R. And uh, their Twitter for their podcast is at Screen Drafts because they were smart and made their podcast short enough that it could fit in a Twitter handle. We are at Critic Acclaim. 
big mistake. <laughs> In any case, uh, it's a really, really fun conversation. These are very, very smart individuals. They came at the film from a couple of angles I hadn't heard before. One a particular interesting bit I think you should look forward to is when they talk about how Andre, when, he, when they're talking about how art used to entertain people may have some sort of, like, may, may lack value. Mm-hmm. Andre is possibly taking the form of that form of entertainment when he babbles on about all these really cool things he's done that you never will. Mm. And I was like, ooh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good one. So there's a lot of really neat insights here that I haven't heard from you, me, anyone else that I've talked to about it. And I hope you enjoy. So, again, this is Clay and Ryan of Screen Drafts having their dinner with my dinner with Andre. Ryan, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Here Good. We, we haven't done something like this in quite a long time. No, I think. Uh, I mean, what have we ever done something like this? Well, I feel like the old show was very much a discussion about one to two movies. True. Right. I mean, True. that's kind of what we did, which was very stress-inducing for me. <laughs> it was very stress-inducing for you. Yeah, like uh, this is far more. I mean, to sort of oh, spread this. Out, to this. Yeah. So you. You. Uh, never really indicated to me that the oh. podcast we used to do where, where we would talk about two movies was uh <laughs> well we would get into a lot a stress of inducer we would you. get into a lot of debates that kind of would get a little i think more heated than anything we we deal with on screen drafts right there yes. would actually be like like full-throated discussions about things yes and that true. kind of would get into kind of interesting territory it, it had the space to develop in a way uh uh where we would maybe yeah hit the uh, hit the the pitch of uh, of Andre and Wally's conversation towards the end of my dinner with Andre, right. <laughs> and while Sean's just like I, I simply don't understand how you can <laughs> like that's where we would get yeah uh, uh, we don't on our show screen drafts uh, when it is the conversations are they, you know the stakes are high and tensions run hot but the conversations themselves are kind of nugget sized so you right. can kind of just like you know have been disbelief but then we move on and it's a it is a dis it's a uh, the moving on it is, is what... an impotent dis d- disbelief yeah whereas on the other show yeah we would really try to try to get to the core of it and like this show that we're about to talk about i we we did not roll with a script on that old show so i would often walk in with a lot of anxiety and a little bit of scribbled notes and that was about right. it so, oh, did uh, you take notes for this thing we're doing now? No, oh, okay. no, I didn't, and I didn't really then either. But I, I, I think I, tr- I tried when I would yeah. get really nervous about something, you know. But regardless, here we are. Here, my, here we are. Uh, my, my dinner with Clay. We're talking about my dinner with Andre uh, for, uh, and again, I did not follow up with with William at all about this. Uh-huh. He mentioned it when uh, they were on. Um, Screen drafts. Yeah, William uh, Bibiani and Whitney Seibold. Um, at the very end, William was like, "Hey, do you guys want to do this thing? It's a podcast experiment we're doing. My dinner with my dinner with Andre. You just watch my dinner with Andre and talk about it." And we just said yes. Yeah. Uh, and then and then got no further details. Yeah. Uh, and I chose not to follow up with him because I thought even if we do it uh, very wrong, if we even if we fuck this up somehow, I feel like maybe that would be entertaining in and of itself well he did say like even if you stop talking about dinner with andre and start talking about something else right it sounded like you could do anything it you sounded want. like it, was, yeah, it is a very open prompt as long as my dinner with andre is included somewhere in the morass of your conversation exactly <laughs> uh so we just uh, had uh, a late a late lunch early dinner yep. of pizza um we're here in the arrow theater uh, at, at, at as we do during quarantine times at the opposite ends of our uh this long table yeah um uh, and we're talking about my dinner with Andre, uh, a movie that I had not seen since college. So it had been at least twelve or fourteen years uh, since I had seen this picture. Same for me. I am a little older than you, so I remember seeing it at Vidiots uh, for the first time, and I remember I saw it on VHS. It was mm. like you know mid two thousands, and um, was it like part of your curriculum or something? It was not. No, if I'm remembering correctly, I was just saying, I'm Clay Keller, you're Ryan Marker. Oh, yeah. We do screen drafts. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of any of that information will have been included in the episode (laughs) description. Don't, I genuinely don't know what the guys are planning to do with this. Um, 
but we will deliver it. Just so when I say Clay, you know it's I'm speaking to yes. the guy. You know that I, I know that you're addressing me. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, no, it was not. I don't believe it was assigned in college, but it's one of those movies that uh, you just watch in college. It's uh, it's it, it's very like uh, part and parcel with academia. It is a collegial the essence film, of it. Yeah. And then you know if, if if you're going to film school and you're trying to. Uh, prove how open-minded you are about art and stuff, and someone's just like, this is the movie that's just two guys talking. And you're like, well, certainly certainly I will be able to stay, uh, you know, engaged throughout the most boring-sounding movie of all time. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a young uh, film student. Yeah. Um, I, with refined taste uh, and, and, uh, and an open mind. Um, so I did watch it in film school, but not part of a curriculum. We just took it out from the library Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Andrew and I and, and, and watched it. And I remembered really liking it. Yeah. Um, and, and it is, a, it's sort of, it's, it's weird. It's sort of, um, presaged the podcast era a little bit. Yeah. I think if that movie came out now, uh, you know, so many people have been conditioned to derive entertainment from listening to two people just kind of expound on and on and on for, <laughs> for yeah. two hours. Uh, this is, it's, it's kind of just like a podcast with, uh, you know, with a, uh, 35 millimeter accompanying uh, I- image. But even at the time, I, I liked it a lot. Um, uh, I liked it a lot this time, too. I mean, it is, it, it, it is, uh, it's a very engaging conversation mm-hmm. to watch. I, I don't know. Was it, so you came to it then, if you're working at Vidiots, it was. I didn't come to, I mean, in honest, in all honesty, I didn't. I feel like I'm probably heard the name of it, but you know, like a lot of things, you just sort of—it's used as a reference. I know it is, but I I, even in like film and television, if you need to like reference a really like art housey movie that only like nerdy art house people will have seen, it's always My Dinner with Andre. I feel like a lot of like there was like a community episode called My Dinner with. I still think it it is definitely like a a cultural touch point. I do think that for my aesthetic, though, like just thinking about college me. And then even post college, me, it the title rubbed me the wrong way. Like, again, not being on DVD was a huge thing for me in the early two thousands. Like, okay, I'm not watching dusty old VHS anymore. So it took. I remember it was a recommendation from another idiot uh, named Sean, who uh, was extremely learned. Like he, this guy was a bigger book guy than he was a movie guy, but he knew. Like it was insane. This guy's brain. Right. Um, and I remember getting into Louis Mal. So my my entrance to this sure, was sort of like, yeah. yeah, was like kind of catching on to. He gave me. I, I remember watching Black Moon, which is a completely bonkers surrealist film. That's it's one of the weirdest movies i've ever yeah. seen yeah and i'm like i want more louis mal and he's like watch my dinner with andre and i was like okay that's odd but the dichotomy of like of of seeing those two films really st- spoke volumes about louis mal yeah so it just kind of deepened my my love funny, of, uh, of him some of the stories that andre gregory tells during my dinner with andre if you were to film them would be near black moon levels of of oddity. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's really true. Um, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about the podcast element of it. I, I feel I, – watching it this time, I think it was a really different experience for me this time. I I think, you know, like I might have um, appreciated the, uh, the, the simplicity of it the first time around. Like I, I can remember the feelings that I had in watching it as just kind of like a – like letting it wash over me, a lot of conversation. You know, it's it's a very dense film, and so you sort of are just diving into the rhythms of it. But ha- now having that under your belt and coming back to it for me, what I think is about thirteen years later, um, it really was a completely different experience. I mean, I really sort of saw these two people very differently. I mean, I think time has created sort of a a, a difference in terms of the way that I look of at people from that generation now. Mm, yeah. I also think that uh, we're living like now at, in post-COVID life. At the end when Andre Gregory is like, I think the 60s were the last great time. And now I was like, okay, boomer. It's <laughs> it, like, it, it was like he screamed that. You know what I mean? It was a very, very telling He's moment. a lot less likable. I remember when I saw it in college being like, you know, I was, you know, you're as familiar with Walsh Sean as anybody is. Sure. Um, but I didn't know. Fucking! I didn't know Andre Gregory from the next guy. I, I, I remember finding him like I was like, "Oh, he's really engaging. He's a great actor." And for most of the movie, watching it now, I was just kind of like, you know, 
silent jerk-off motion, like, all right, dude. Like, he's a good performance, but I was much less taken with with his whole thing. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I hear you. Um, and I sort of, I don't know about you, Clay, but I sort of got a weird, like, like big chill feel from this. That They were both two sides of a coin of... Mm. Of a uh, of a, a '60s, you know, mentality that 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 generation walked into in the early '80s and late '70s, where they have to make a choice all of a sudden. You know, they lived this hedonistic life growing up and and started to take on ideals that you know hadn't been there prior to their generation. So, in a sense, they invented this sort of new way of looking at the world and yeah. you know eschewing Christianity and all these sort of kind of new age philosophies and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, Wallace Shawn is the opposite of that. Somebody who literally just dives into the sort of domestic life. What I'd found most profound about both of them was how hypocritical they both were. Oh yeah. And that, like, I don't remember at all from the original viewing. Like I didn't really get a sense at all about how backwards they speak about the very things that they're talking about. You know, he, they, they preach in a sense, like, to each other they're preaching constantly yeah. about their lives and yet at the same time wallace sean's the movie starts with wallace sean's inner life about how unhappy he is with where he's at in life and yet halfway through the movie he's fully happy with the way he, he lives and i found that hypocrisy sort of annoying mm. in, in in its own way so like i don't know i saw both of them sort of in a very different light than than this time and it made me think about a lot of different things in terms of just that generation, but also I think how people, as they grow, obviously are going to start betraying some of their ideals of their youth. You know, like as you get older, you can't right, hold yeah. on to all of that. And I think that there's, you know, an interesting evolution that happens there too with the characters as well as just with human beings. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a strange film. I also think it's a bit of a pioneering film too. To to, yeah. to think about the meticulousness of how to to do something like this, not on a stage where it feels yeah. like that would be the natural place to well, listen I to wonder, two people it's, talk it's, about life. It's, I did not do any of the uh, historical research into the production, <clears throat> but it is it it, it, it was it. Imp- do you know was it? Improvised or to what extent no, it was, was written? It says like screenplay, you know, by Sean and and and, and Gregory. And I feel it, it is so the the ebbs and flows of the the energy between them and the and the like the system of reveals that it has and all of that definitely seems like it is it is this um, I said a very meticulously built um, narrative within this like series of things that uh, initially on first blush just kind of seem like a guy telling mm-hmm. tales of his travels right right um which is which is so so interesting and yeah and it certainly must have seemed experimental like i said particularly before the age of um people being accustomed to just uh, listening to, to conversations like that, to go see a film, to go to a theater, a, m- a movie theater, to see something captured on film and well captured. I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a couple angles, but it's, it's, you know, the, the texture of the film is nice. Like it's, it looks good. It's a real seventies film. It feels very seventies. Even though it's 80, 81. 81. Or, yeah. Um, uh, it does a real seventies vibe. Um, uh, 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 so it, it is interesting to me, uh, it is still unique kind of in that way. And it, it, it's not really, it's not a mumblecore movie, but like, uh, uh that is kind of the modern, I think, sure. film analog mm-hmm. to that kind of thing as we are just going to drop in, uh, to these people, uh, and just get a, 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 a really un, unvarnished, just a glimpse at daily life. Now, of course, like I said, this was written uh to do specific things so it's much it's more it's not a mumblecore movie no by any stretch of the imagination but that is the kind of aesthetic or like the way in that's the conceit is that it is very uh verite yeah no it's yeah no i I hear that um i also think it's kind of a it's a pretty political movie oh certainly as far as like again where that generation ends up being today and like even the last 30 years of politics i mean i found it really interesting that impassioned end where like wallace sean starts making that plea for the scientific method yes 
and just like the world we're living in now, like yeah. in a sense, like the those new age philosophies that Andre Gregory like talks about are so problematic in terms of like how it's sort of morphed into like, like libertarianism and even Republican, you know, sort of I should be free to do whatever the hell I want. And, uh, uh, you know, those that uh, um, are sort of amongst the fabric of society are too dumb to sort of understand the higher levels of awareness and enlightenment that right. we have achieved. You know, like I like you, you hear that in anti- anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers today. I mean, here we are post-COVID. I definitely like had to watch this movie through that lens to some degree. And I loved that that speech that he gave and to watch Andre Gregory's face, his reaction to that and, and not be like, he, he takes it in. He doesn't like t- completely disavows it and gets angry. It doesn't turn into right. a debate. It might get a little tense, but it's never a debate, I think. And, um, I found that very like adult and human and, and, and something you just don't really see anymore. It felt like, um, like those great debates between uh, Gore Vidal and, and you know, uh, who was that? Was Buckley? It Buckley, you know what I mean? Where they, they could argue, but yet they walked away and were like, well, we are both on equal levels and I respect who you are. I mean, these two guys, I mean, they're old sort of colleagues. They're not even friends, really. Yeah. And so, like, they have no real reason to get together except that they're kind of in a similar phase in their lives. And a friend of... A mutual friend sort of well, yeah, said that's you sort need of like to go. The, uh, there's there's a slight like mystery element to the opening of the film. Yeah, uh, where where when Wallace Shawn is saying like, oh, my friends, they r- r- ran into him on the street and he was like leaning against a tree crying and like there have been like r- r- rumors that he's like kind of going crazy and all that stuff. So he there's like an element of like, what's this Andre Gregory guy gonna gonna yeah. be when he shows up? Right. Um, this is one of kind of the like light narrative propulsions. At yeah. the beginning of the movie. What did you think of... Um, I mean, I hear what you're saying about his performance, but there's also, like, sort of a slight annoying aspect to him where he just feels like he's rambling. Like, there are times where Andrew you're... Gregory? No, I think his performance is is, is great. I think that the character is... Um, uh, yeah, I, I very... I mean more of the character than the performance, because the yeah. character, is, like, literally does not stop talking for an hour. Right. I mean, and by design, and while Sean is like, you know, says that he loves to listen to people and all this stuff, um, and he does just keep saying like, uh, oh, you know, tell me more about that. And that's all he, that's all while Sean does for the first hour and a half or first hour and 15 minutes of the right. movie. Because um, what else is he going to say? Hmm. That's the thing. Yeah, know? there's, there's yeah, ex- exactly. There's, there's no re- re- reaction the, to any, you, you can't present a point of view to anything that Andre Gregory right, says. Right, right. Um, it's a long narrative. It is wild, though, because it 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 brings you along. I mean, just his stories are so strange that just listening to them, you know, are kind of it is kind of just inherently interesting to listen to him tell about you know going out into the middle of the woods with this group and all the bizarre uh, yeah. acting exercises they do and the shutting everything out and the transcendentalism and all this stuff. Um, and uh, uh, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's, he's an engaging storyteller. They're both very engaging speakers. Yeah. Um, but then once, once it starts to kind of reveal the ethos behind all of this stuff and, 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 and how that re- is reflected in his worldview, yeah, he is, he is – I find him a very unlikable it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Uh, uh, and it, it is so interesting. And it, comparing it to The Big Chill, at least in as much as that it is about boomers who, uh, you know, got all high on their own activism in the 60s and then just sold out as soon as Reagan came along, uh, is so fascinating. Because this is 81. This is like right after Reg- Reagan takes over. Yeah. And their it's very their discussion is very political. Their discussion, you know, about science uh versus um uh self-reliance and faith and all this stuff. And Andre Gregory brings up the Nazis like 15 times. Yeah. Uh and they don't talk about Reagan once. Yeah. Like Reagan was this horribly destructive force that we we understand this now and there were a lot of marginalized groups that knew it at the time. Uh but but 
at the time, then, even to, like, the liberals, you know, these, you know, uh, 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 Manhattan artsy uh, t- types, it's, it's not even, it doesn't even occur to them. Sure. There's, like, we just live in this, you know, everything is in equilibrium now. Um, um, uh, uh, America is basically a zero-sum that we don't need to worry about politics in America. Right. We just worry about everything else. We worry about, you know, our own our own problems. Uh, it was, I thought that was very interesting to me. Yeah, I did too. However, you know, it's so – I do think that they spoke a lot about – I mean, he speaks a lot about, you know, the sort of selfish selfishness of Americans and, like, the narcissism. And that all rang really true in terms of just their observations of the world around them. I mean, to be fair, they are artists. And, you know, for better or worse, uh, you know, there are political artists that bring that awareness and activism to their work. And then there are those that aren't. And there are just as many that do not as that do. And so in a weird way, like I'm waiting for politics to enter into this conversation and i don't feel like they're aware of it it doesn't feel you know there's no evidence that they are aware of the political world around them however they are speaking about politics constantly throughout the movie yeah there is a lot of like awareness about the lack of awareness in people out there and and yeah they, they talk about about politics in a purely um academic and hypothetical way right right it is they're not talking about things we need to do or any like real world it is all like that's again that's why he's always talking about the nazis and like the literal nazis like yeah. the third reich nazis yeah uh and all of his references that are, are are they are not you know they aren't about like a current concern uh or about like a lasting effect it's just it's like a it's a just a touch point it's a it's a it's an example for a story true uh, however like if you look i mean it's 1981 for them, it's 1981. For us, you know, we're looking at this like it's 1981, and I can't help but look at, you know, 38 years or however long of what they're talking about over the course of that time. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. when they start getting into all that, you can only say, Christ, that was 1981. It only got worse. All that oh, yeah. all that they speak of from both the uh, problems of science that – Gregory speaks of, which is all true, and yeah. the destruction, destructive nature of it, as well as the defense of it, are all true. It's the morass, you know, and that's what I think is so yeah. interesting about the film. By the end, it still rings true the way it did for me 10 years ago, which is, this is a conversation. To just kind of paint it, or, or take sides even, is sort of an odd way to look at it, because they are two randos getting together, with two very different points of view and life experiences and all that. And they decide to share them in whatever way that means in this very fancy restaurant. Again, another strange hypocrisy where like he can eat, you know, ants on the, you know, in the Sahara. And yet (laughs) here we are in what seems to be the fanciest like restaurant in New York city. It's like, there's a lot of strange things in the movie that I, I, I found so like prophetic about the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't even have the internet yet in there. You, you can see, like, he's struggling to determine, like, I don't want book knowledge. I want real world experience. You know, like, we have to get yeah. rid of this idea of studying things and get more into the idea of, like, what theater actually is, which is getting in touch with ourselves right. and nature around us. Like, there's so much of that, and you can see the impulses for that. Today, probably more than you could in 1981. I mean, there's so many impulses to just, like, deep state everything. I don't get it, so fuck it. Deep state it. And I don't, like, I'm not, uh, I do not agree with that. the uh, deep state guy, it's Andre Gregory. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm saying that. All I'm saying is, as a human being, listening to this person articulately explain that. Yeah. You can see it. Like, you can kind of see it. And so it's not something I agree with. It's not something I would, you know, I'm a whole generation different than, 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 but to have that perspective, I found really refreshing. I think it's something that, that we don't get enough of in our, in our art, honestly, Mm -hmm. is dialogue, hearing different points of view and not just the same, like, if this is woke enough, then you can hear it. Like, you know, I'm all for, you know, everybody's uh, rights and representations and everything. But I, I, I do think that like, 
we need to pay attention to hearing dialogue, to hearing everyone's point of view, and to have that uh, dialectic on a constant basis uh, in our art. Yeah, having a dialogue, um, perhaps within the realm of 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 art, certainly, yes, I, I agree. I think in terms, and I think you'd agree, just what having a dialogue means is inherently different now than it was 40 years ago. That's true. It was... Yeah. It was a, 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 a dialogue in 1980 was a, uh, you know, for the most part, a good faith, well-intentioned disagreement between two sides that shared some basis of, like, facts that they were jumping off of. Now, one side can just be the, you know, ultimate end-of-the-line perversion of some of the things that, that they're talking about in this movie, where it's, uh, you know, throwing away... Um, uh, the uh, complete reliance on science and all of that, uh, going beyond the, um, again, the hypothetical and the academic into making that your, uh, the actual way you live your life day to day. Um, and that becomes very destructive <laughs> as we've seen, it's going to be very destructive and literally deadly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it is, it is nice, uh, to see that discussion, between these guys, but in, but even at the time, um, and again, this is a, such an interesting glimpse, uh, at the eighties and at the, you know, relative economic stability then, um, at least amongst, uh, white people, white artists <laughs> in New York, right. uh, is, 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 um, Wallace Shawn, who, uh, at the end when Andre Gregory is, you know, coming, we're wrapping up and, and, and Wallace Shawn, uh, gives him his perspective on what he's just heard. Uh, he really makes the point that that is that is true. That like there is something inherently uh, there's something inherently false. Inherently, um, uh, ultimately, I kind of agree with Wal Sean. Kind of, kind of pointless in the experience of going off and having these uh, absurdly unique experimental once in a lifetime things uh because because that's not that's not the real world you can only do that in this world if you have the privilege people do not have the privilege uh outside of people who are already like wealthy to have these um immersive bizarre circumstances where they can you know have these you know their third eye opened and sure. realize what, what whatever bullshit uh and i think while shine uses the word obscene uh when he's describing it and i kind of uh certainly as as a um uh struggling uh day-to-day art type as while sean is in this movie uh, I found a lot of that obscene and utterly and ultimately pointless. Yeah, everything that Andre Gregory was talking about. Yeah, no, I I, I hear that. However, I, I would say that there. I mean, I don't know. There's there's something to and Andre Gregory says it too. He's like, I loathe I loathe myself. Yeah, but even that feels kind of performative. Uh, but I I would also still say that so did Wallace Shawn said essentially yeah. the oh, same thing. Sure. So I mean I, I I'm just saying they're coming both from a place of emptiness despite their experiences, and I think that you know you could make a strong case that as an artist, and again I I underline that word not as a like commercial artist I'd say just the word artist that you know he, Andre Gregory is coming from a world that's extremely. That seems to be kind of becoming a little extinct in our in our hyperkinetic hyperconnected connected world, mm-hmm. where you can't unplug, you can't go away. When he does kind of unplug, and and it's not like he's you know taking a a, a cruise around the world. I mean, he's obviously just throwing away all of his worldly goods and you know deciding to go out into the desert <laughs> and smoke peyote for lack of a better hypothetically, you know. Oh. Um, I don't. I don't think that. Like, I, I'd say that if there's any kind of sort of um, old-fashioned way of living in terms of the way he lives, it's the fact that he has a family at home and that hypocrisy kind a of family cl- and like a and a like wealth he can draw upon, which is a cloud that hangs upon his character. I think. However, again, like you are deeply compelled by everything he's saying. In terms of just hearing stories, I mean, I I do love the idea of, you know, um, 
what we're all doing is just simply telling stories. And if you don't have any stories to tell, you know, are are you just selling your shit? Are you just selling things that people want to hear? And as 35 years have gone by, that marketplace for stories has only, you know, like proliferated a hundred times over to the point that a character like Andre Gregory is practically probably extinct now and, and, and does not really, and if he does, you know, I, I sort of give him a lot of credit and props because I just think it's harder and harder in this world to actually try to find a place of like, you know, creative, like, purity with yeah. yourself because you're constantly as an artist myself like I totally feel like I'm constantly thinking about what people are going to want and not really what I want and I have to kind of constantly balance that stuff and it often wins where well there I know this is going to you know please a certain crowd out there it's going to have an element that I just know people are going to love uh-huh. and I do think that that has corrupted. Well, I don't think you've given into that entirely because the people uh, did want you to do with your bluegrass band a cover of uh, <laughs> the Twilight New Moon soundtrack. Uh, that was something that was people were clamoring for, and you you haven't done that yet. So I feel like you do still have some. I do have some artistic that, integrity. Yeah, yeah. That is true. That is true. But you see what I'm saying, and that like ethos yeah. of again like getting in touch with like your true art artist self. Honestly, it it came from the last, like, hundred years of... I mean, it was obviously a much more, um, like, religious experience to create art prior to 1980. You know, I mean, (laughs) honest to God, I feel like the moment we, like, hired Ronald Reagan, the world just became a big marketplace. You know, globalization happened overnight in, in this world. And it changed. I feel like this this movie is, in a way, like a bit of a time capsule. I don't yeah. think it it can exist anymore. I mean, I think the dialogue is well, it's still the last there. Time, like it, it is the last time that I think you, you could watch two people have the conversation about what it means to create art and does it matter and again is it obscene to focus on on uh, you know so much of your energy on art when there's other things you have to do and paying the bills and all that and it seems novel and it seems like interesting yeah uh because um i don't know like i mean that, that's kind of the, str- the struggle as you were saying like artists still have to this day um but at at that time, I'm trying to think. I, I I had a I had a cogent line of thought. Like, say what you about want about that. Um, no, yeah, go please. Say what you want about Andre Gregory. He is grappling with this. He yeah. definitely he calls himself a spoiled child. Yeah. At the same time, as relishing these stories. Well, that's something that, he's that they given. both do is, is in this conversation that they have is they do this sort of um, performative uh, self reflection, where it's the kind of like you know who can be more honest. <laughs> With with each other, yeah. That's almost that's part of the thing, and it uh, there it, the 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 movie makes a, a a point about that by having Andre Gregory talk about this this professor or whatever who he knows who has this theory that everybody is performing all of the time right. in their day to day roles, um, and and so th- theater is irrelevant now because the doctor is performing the and part. Boy, the has that only gotten so more that has like- oh, there's a lot of very prophetic yeah. uh, 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 academic uh, extemporaneous talk and so much <laughs> of it and so much of it to me comes from I mean a lot of it does come from Andre Gregory's like like wrestling with that himself I think again the scientific method thing at the end priceless it's Wallace Shawn's like I gotcha <laughs> you know moment where yeah. it's like yeah I heard your whole story but in reality like you know, like, there's science, bro, and, you know, yeah. like... There's science, I gotta pay my bills. I gotta pay my bills. And it's like, you know, and, and I, I underline that we walked in with yeah. his internal monologue saying, I am unhappy with right. with the world I'm living in. I'm con- I, We used to think about art, and now all I think about is money. Like, and he's living in yeah. New York fucking city. Like he, he doesn't really get into his story, but, um, and, and, and you know, obviously these are not... These are uh, fictionalized versions of both of these guys. But uh, while Sean says, you know, when, when I was a kid, I was an aristocrat, which I believe is true. He grew up the yes. son of very, like, rich people, the Upper West Side or whatever. Um, 
Uh, and, and I guess the movie implies that when he became an adult, he's no longer relying on his trust fund or whatever, and he's trying to make a, make a, 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 a you know, a, a go of it on However, his Debbie is paying the bills, Debbie's as he says, the bill. on the subway. Um, <laughs> but it is, it, it, it is interesting, and I think that the final line of the movie is really the, the twist on the whole thing. Because, you know, on, as, as much as the audience and Wallace Shawn can be like, oh, Andre Gregory is all high in his own supply, and he's such a specific circumstance, and none of this quote-unquote knowledge that he's gained is really applicable to anybody else. Yeah. And he's just kind of been furpering around, the, around you know, doing uh, d- deprivation tanks and shit for ten years. Um, and what, what good is all of this highfalutin, high-minded you know, babble to anybody? Um, and then the last line of the movie is, and then I went home and told Debbie all about my dinner with Andre. Like, it is that, that is the, the point is that there are these, these weird people who get to live these weird, exceptional, strange lives, and they tell us stories, and then the stories entertain and uh, 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 ignite conversation and um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 spur self-reflection. And, and, and that's, those- that's the point of the people like Andre Gregory, even if you, if you take them literally and just look at Andre Gregory as a guy and be like, what a, what a jerk off. Sure. But that is, you know, that, that is the reason human beings learned how to communicate is the, the oral church tradition. And when you think of our great artists of our time, they are the storytellers. They are the Andre Gregory's. Like they are the ones that I don't think it's a, like I had the privilege. I think it's, I have the choice and I took it. I mean, you know, if that is to be true, Wallace Shawn had that choice and decided not to take it. And so is Wallace Shawn just acting out of like bitterness that now he just gets to hear the stories instead of lives them. I mean, I take him at his word on one hand that he loves his life and loves Debbie and loves, you know, pumping out his plays that no one reads. But again, like his inner thought, I do not like any of this defensive. It was 100% defensive. I think that, again, like, he has his own But not untrue. I mean, it is the people in different circumstances have to find um, those moments of transcendence where they are available. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do not have the means to get uh, 40 people who don't speak English and retreat to uh, the Redwood Forests and, uh, you know, do beehive activities... Uh, you have to find it in the cup of coffee, but then, and then, but then, if, then that's whole. That's the whole self mythologizing thing on both sides of the, you know, the rich academia uh, and the you know working class stiffs in their tiny New York apartments uh, is is mythologizing your own experience and treating what you go through day to day as the um, you know the real human experience you know the real america or the sure. real what, what, whatever and everything else is strange and ex- or extraneous or uh or, or uh, extravagant or, or you know yeah or too or obscene. too pretentious yeah, too i mean pretentious. there's so many like you know kind of um narcissistic words americans use for those like artists that they don't understand that don't operate in their same i mean it's so interesting i mean they this it's such a weird thing that they're they're we've made a movie about theater here you know because so much of what they talk about is like yeah. theater and the essence of theater and i find it so interesting when you even compare i remember like being in college and just not ever responding to you know we read so many plays and american theater is so different than the rest of the world's theater mm-hmm. in the history you know in, in its history it's so simple-minded it's very like you know fathers versus sons it's very like you know little guy versus the big man like it's all very self-mythologizing as you say whereas you know the rest of the world i mean are obviously like dealing with like what is family you know right. who are we on this planet there're far bigger questions that don't have to do with the self and i think that you know andre gregory um taps into that world and you know in a sense kind of tries to get rid of the american i you know ideal and that's there's something to be said about that i just you know again we are now the laughing stock of the world right now for very good reason and we are completely different than everyone else and i think that part of that is 
we don't leave this country anymore. We, you know, even if we do, we're taking a cruise around the world and we're back in, you know, a week. I, I, I think that like the inability to kind of respect and understand other cultures around the world is also something that colors this movie pretty greatly. I think, I think, you know, yeah, you know, we could talk about how how uh, wordy Andre Gregory is, but boy, oh boy, he's experienced things, he's lived things, he's done things. Where you can say Wallace Shawn has probably sat in his apartment and pumped out again plays that no one's read for maybe what ten years, perhaps you know, all on his girlfriend's dime, and like as respectable as that is i mean you know and i know that life very well um i i do have to say that now in my post-covid life i definitely want to take a bit more of a page from andre gregory when this is all over and say i've got to get in touch with something real now like i cannot but is it real i feel like that's 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 yes that's going out to joshua tree after this is done will feel well yeah you can go to joshua tree and take peyote but like not the not not like what andre gregory is doing it's the same i think it's the same i think that it's again taking yourself out of your comfort zone and deciding to put yourself in a place that doesn't feel very comfortable and maybe you know it's um not quote unquote fun but it's something I, I mean this not in terms of even a trip like you know that you have to go somewhere but again to like try to experience things that you don't like I think that's something that like Americans can take a lot from that we are literally so attuned to what we quote unquote like that we become so myopic in all of our conversations and in all of the way we operate that I mean you then become Wallace to me and like they both have their pluses they both have their negatives they're both annoying and they're both charming in their own way and I found that dialogue and that that kind of illustration kind of amazing I mean really when all is said and done like it's an with 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 so little they do so much and it's like it's mesmerizing and it 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 it, it, I I think that the, the movie comes to a very mature conclusion uh which is that we all need each other we yeah. need both sides of the coin. Yeah. Uh, or, 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 or else uh, we're just going to, you know, if there is not, uh, if there is not um, kind of a, of a bland everydayness that you, one wants to escape, uh, you would never have Andre Gregory taking every opportunity to gallivant off and do strange things in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, in India. Uh, and, and if th- those guys weren't doing that, there would not be uh, anyone for the regular people to complain about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they invigorate each other. They learn something from each other. They invigorate each, invigorate each other. And and and, and while Sean, um, you know, Andre Gregory seems kind of uh, oblivious to all of this. You know, he, Andre Gregory does not really seem to be changed by this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, and of course, like our protagonist, as much as it, as it is, is Wallace Shawn in this, who, sure. the one who goes on a journey. Yeah. But he, uh, you could just, watching his face and his facial reactions are the MVP of the film. The occasional, well, they'll cut to him. Uh, and you could just, he is a great thing where you can tell exactly where he, where his mind is at through a combination of his subtle face and then what you're bringing to how yeah. you feel about it. And you sure. assume you're, that he's feeling the same way. Um, uh, uh, and then you can just watch that kind of – you watch that change over the course of the conversation um, until, until, yeah, he like really boils over and needs to like jump in and, mm-hmm. and defend his, his ho-hum life. But it is it, – this is a very like um, – it's a very self-aware conversation. But it I also is, think – And not, not as judgmental as it – would seem at first blush. No, I think. I mean, for, yeah, for either side. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of my favorite shots, for lack of a better word, um, is the reaction shot you're seeing in the mirror while Wallace Shawn is giving his whole, like, I defend my life. Yeah. I mean, Andre Gregory is thoroughly enraptured with what he's oh, saying. Yeah. He is not angry. He's not, you know, I mean, he no. wants to hear what Wallace has to say. They are there to hear each other and if there is you know if maybe he is unfazed by what wallace says i do think having that dialogue 
faced him. I think like having that. Well, he's someone who every single thing that happens to him is uh, is on an equal level in terms of experience. Yeah, every moment is added to his uh, uh, kaleidoscope of right of ultra important human interactions. Yeah, uh, and you may, you wonder like why Andre didn't wasn't the the screenwriter or the playwright because I feel like hit, I mean any of those stories would have been a great. I mean, you I think know, it was a commentary story. on. On then the and again I wasn't alive in the eighties but it, this is something now it's that you get a lot of people who are creating art but it is such a difficult way to make a living that uh, and 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 especially now there's a lot of people who get into art just because they want to recreate the stuff that they liked when they were kids that it's people who do not have experiences mm-hmm. and all they do is write right uh, that's Wallace either. That's Wallace, either because that's what they're choosing to do or because they cannot afford to, like, they can, they don't have, just don't have the finances. You're, they're trying to pay the bills, and they can't take five years off mm-hmm. and go into the woods. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and that is, like, what the Wallace Shawn thing is doing, is doing. And I think that, that Gregory couldn't be the, with his experiences, couldn't be the playwright um, because they were trying to show that. Dichotomy, totally. Of the two different kinds of artists, right? And, and you know uh, that I'm only saying that like it, it'd be so interesting to you would think like I just found it fascinating that the one who has all of these experiences spends his artistic life staging other people's shows, the Little Prince. You know, he's got all these like other things that he's working on. Meanwhile, Wallace doesn't leave his apartment and is writing, you know, plays about other people that yeah. he just doesn't really know. So that just that difference in terms of like what theater brings, I think, is such an interesting. Thing. The, the uh, Little Prince story as well is is just another funny little like moment of hypocrisy, where he's like, "Oh, the Little Prince," you know. Actually, it's like deeply fascist, mm-hmm. and it's like, "Oh, okay, cool." And then he t- proceeds to talk about how he continued to develop his Little Prince idea for over the course of six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that too. And I, but you know, on the flip end, I could see. You know, an artist like that doing that. I mean, it's a, it's a very like um, it's the sort of thing that you know. I mean, to call the little prince fascistic is wild. Number one, like it's 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 not really. But in his artist brain, I could see how he would want to develop work around this idea of the little prince as a fascistic piece. You know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. that would fascinate him. He's a person that seems far removed from the real world. He's very aloof. Yeah, and, and in that like you know, yeah, there's something to be said about what what he could bring to the real world, to what an audience would want to see. However, again, historically, people love that shit. They fucking eat that shit up. Theater has always welcomed radical uh, surrealism in 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 its presentation. It loves that, you know? And again, it's not necessarily an American thing, but it's something that I think yeah. historically, like, art has always embraced and it had always has given so much to to theater and to art in, in general. So it's such a fascinating movie. I, I, I was really happy to revisit it because I, I, I had such a different reaction than I ever thought I would mm-hmm. watching it that first time so long ago. Which I think I just basically just wrote off. I mean, the first time I watched it, I think what I got out of it, and again, yeah, I mean, we were both much younger. The first time I watched it, I just kind of got like, oh, well, Sean is like annoyed by this guy, and then eventually he wins him over, and, and you know, at the end, it invigorates him to l- look at things around him in a different way. Right. That's a pretty simple, and that does happen, but it, that's kind of a simplistic way to look at it. But it does, um, you know, if you engage like a silent third person in the conversation in what they're talking about uh, there it does it just there's a lot to lot to think about and um and a lot of very timeless uh subjects mm-hmm. obviously i had uh, read that they had um louis mallet played with the idea of adding a meta aspect of it at the end like there would be a final scene where like some where like louis mal would like enter in as a character of course he would <laughs> And sort of like, you know, ask them if they'd like to make a movie about their their conversations. Uh-huh. And, and I think Andre Gregory was like, no. Like he goes in, he's like, uh, uh, pardon moi, uh, I did not mean to uh, eavesdrop, 
Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so then he made Vanya on 42nd Street. And exactly. got, got that out of his system. <laughs> you were like, all right. He's like, okay, Andre, I won't do it here, but I will do it there. Um, but I found that interesting because I kind of feel like that would have gone that that takes it far too down a like kind of a european realm mm-hmm. of like you know like meta french new wave sort of it's unnecessary that, i think i think you get the message yeah without well as you, as you so like that. as you said like i i do think that that ending is really pitch perfect the way that you hear his thoughts on the way home and he th- you know it's it's a total like beautiful like storybook ending in a yeah, way. Yeah, it says what, like, for the first time, like, everywhere I looked was connected to a story, you know, and, and the idea of paying attention to what, even if you aren't, you know, uh, having grand adventures, paying attention to everything that happens in your life and considering the significance and considering how it shaped you and what what kind of story it can tell and stuff. It's very interesting to me because I, I have a terrible memory. I'm not a good, you know, I, I, I make art and I... T- write and I tell stories I act and stuff but I'm not a very good storyteller yeah I, I I don't think about my own life in that way very much and I have a horrible mem- I have a great memory for like random movie yeah. facts I have a terrible memory for my own life so when, whenever I watch something like this where it's someone just like telling stories and then they're like oh well tell me more about that and it's like oh well I have another story blah blah it's like I don't have any fucking It it makes me wonder if there's something wrong with me where I'm like, should I keep a diary? Like I have no memory of the, of the things that have happened to me and I have no, no personal stories. I have like maybe two or three. Um, and I don't know if that means, uh, you know, either that I'm I'm not adventurous enough, or if that maybe I have some kind of like a neurological disorder. Clay, you know, I pr- just problem. think you have a lot. I think there are a ton of stories that you have that you are just like kind of forgetting. I said that's. I'm yeah. sorry, I, I, I don't I'm think it's a matter. Wondering if I well, okay, well, Ryan, that is not really. You know, you're trying to like make me feel better, but then that just says to me that I have, I maybe I have some kind of a, like a de- like a degradation in my like cerebral, dementia. Like, yeah, having early onset dementia, <laughs> which isn't not better. That doesn't make me feel better. No, that's true. But I, I don't know. I, I I think if you were to dig a little below the surface, you'd find stories upon stories that you have. Um. So yeah, my dinner with Andre. My dinner with Andre. Cool flick. What else do we like say Wallace about Sean. this? I don't know. I, I tweeted about this, but um, uh, Wallace Shawn says inconceivable in the in the, the film, which is uh, obviously awesome. great. You got to yeah. point that out. Um, the other thing I realized watching the movie is that it is impossible to go too big if you're trying to do a Wallace Shawn impression. <laughs> it's true because he he. Talks like a he literally he talks like a cartoon. Yeah, it, it, I, I know that he gets a lot of like voiceover work, but it is strange that he is not in every single animated piece of entertainment yeah. that exists. No, it's true. He has a great, great voice. Just astounding. I think my favorite shot in the entire film is the shot where um, it's stuck on Wallace as he's listening, and uh, Andre is talking about how like Americans just can't help but stuff their face as uh-huh. as Wallace is stuffing his face. Yeah. With his soup. <laughs> just eating, like, a little too loud. <laughs> I don't know if that was a direction or if he's just a it, loud eater. I, oh, I think I think that was certainly I, choreographed to be that way. Yeah. It's um, really absolutely. A, a terrific shot. And I, the other thing I noticed about Wallace Shawn is that his um, cadence, his line delivery rhythm is very um, uh, gold-bloomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're they're of a similar. The next time you watch it, think about Goldblum when Wallace Shawn gets into his like monologuing at the end, and they have a very similar cadence. Why have they not worked together before? I don't know. Maybe they have. Do like, we do we know that they haven't? That is a pairing. They've I never like see. starred. They've never been like above above, no, above the title on something together. That's what I mean. I want them. I want them like as a buddy cop. They would be great. Like, I wish there was more. I love just the first couple shots of this movie where we're just like following Wallace Shawn down the street yeah, that as, was the, great. as the protagonist of, of the movie. I'm yeah. like, we don't have a, a, a Wallace Shawn in the center of frame often enough. No, and I, and that like that era in New York is just... Oh, that subway? So, so great. That subway's fucking people just, wild. People just got on a subway that was literally covered in graffiti, <laughs> and they just don't disgusting. care. <laughs> um, yeah, and 
I feel like this he made this, and I'm pretty sure right before this he made Atlantic City, which is like Louis Mall. Yeah, Louis Mall, which is an amazing film if you haven't seen it with Burt Lancaster and Susan Sarandon. But um, it's like an old. I mean, it's so interesting to see old time Atlantic City. Like it's 1978 Atlantic City, completely different than what you would see today. Yeah. You know, Atlantic City was a booming old like casino town, but like bootleggers and shit and so like and all of the architecture is still the same there yeah even today like there's the boardwalk they haven't done anything to the boardwalk there's a lot of like old weird track homes and stuff um and just yeah watching atlantic city is is a joy so i I think i'm going to watch that pretty soon now that i've seen this because i haven't seen that in forever and i've never seen atlantic city i am uh, oh wow we should watch that um we should watch that together but yeah, no, Atlantic City is, is is a great great movie, and Louis Malle is a great filmmaker. I really I want to get into more of his films again. I haven't seen a few of them, but um, his French I, films are all really great. You know, yeah, he's someone that I, I love everything I've seen, but I've only seen a few. I've seen this one. I've seen Black Moon uh, and Elevator to the Gallows, right. which is. Did you watch? Of Wallace of Font when I have not yet seen of Wallace of Font. It was yeah that one came up on our show yeah and was spoke highly of. It's amazing. Yeah. All of those are really good. He did a few Lacombe Lucien, like movies about like you know kids going through fucked up things. Yeah, which is wild. Um, so yeah, all right. Were there any other points that they touched on in their conversation? There was something you wanted to... I, I feel like I should have taken notes, but it feels so weird to take notes on a movie where just, like, do we just want to, like, have us chime in on, like, the topics that they brought up over the course of their conversation? I think we did, for the most I think, part. You know, I think we, we, we hit all of the uh, all the big beats. I guess that there, was, there were so many interesting threads that... Um, I feel like there were a few things that I had an opinion on that I've forgotten what, what like they what they ordered for dinner maybe or like, like their specific dishes. Yeah, no. like the um, the waiter. I like the old man waiter. The waiter's got a real like um, like that he smoked at the end. He's got he's got a very like Seymour Cassell energy. <laughs> yeah, uh, that 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 was fun. Crankly old waiter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not. There's not a ton going on in this movie to talk about. So, but we somehow managed. Yeah, I think we found a decent amount to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. So there you go, William and Whitney. My dinner with Andre. My dinner, my Clan Ryan's dinner with my dinner with Andre. (laughs) Um, I hope this is what they wanted. I think so. I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? I guess we'll we'll find out what they cut out and. What they keep. Oh, do you think they'll cut stuff out? I do know that Andre's real life wife is named Chiquita. Yeah, as was Wallace's girlfriend was Debbie at the time. So that that I found interesting. Just some trivia that yeah. I'm seeing here online. Oh, you look at the trivia. Does it say how long it took to shoot? Um, no, it does not. But I could probably find that out. Or the process, the writing process, I think would be fast. I'm pretty sure that they. Were friends, and well, they. Sure, yeah. I, I had read this that they were friends. They would, at a certain point, Wallace said, "I'd love to turn a certain aspect of our conversations into a script," and I think they originally in, had intended it to be for the stage. Sure. Um, and then at a certain point, Louis Mal caught wind. I can't remember while Sean was trying to find someone to direct the film. I see. He received a phone call from Louis Mal, who had read a copy of the screenplay via a mutual friend. So, I mean, that screenplay was there. It was tight. It was a real thing. It was, um, yeah. So that's interesting. And they agreed that it should be filmed rather than produced as a play. I found that choice such an interesting choice. However, I could also see it being such an intimate conversation that you wouldn't. And it's not. There's it no. There are no dramatic stage. turns. I mean, there's the one moment near the end where Wallace Shawn gets a little bit heated. Yeah. Talking about like how could anybody find genuine happiness outside of a of a simple organic experience like enjoying your cup of coffee uh, or, or whatever. Um, but other than that, I don't. It might be too dry is the wrong word, but I don't know if you could do that as a two hour stage piece i feel like you totally could i feel like especially at that time there were 
so many plays well, like that. Who would do it? I don't know. I, I, I agree with them that I don't think that that's the best form forum. For I mean, it. I just find it shocking. Whether it's the best or not the best, I found it. I find it really shocking that they would choose not to put it on stage and choose to film it just simply because it feels like it's. You know, it's a form of True West or any other uh-huh. two-hander that where two people just talk at each other for two hours. I mean, it it's a it's a theatrical like tradition, I think, to have uh-huh. certain play. But it was not, and I don't really know too many even after it movies where you just listen to two two people, only two people talk for two hours. I mean, even Linklater decides to throw a lot of people in and they all talk or, you know, there's well, and a lot of music and a lot of others. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying like, it's, it's such a sparse movie that it's kind of fascinating that they would be like, nah, movie it is. But you know, it all worked out in the end. I mean, to find Louis Mal, I think was just kismet. Um, Sean initially thought that the call was a prank due to Mal's stature in film. Mal later suggested that the dinner setup would not work based on a rehearsal where Gregory was talking while eating. (laughs) Sean argued throughout screenplay development for more scenes, which would have resulted in a three-hour film. Mal won many script cuts, but lost two arguments over scenes that were kept in the film. Fascinating. (gasps) What? What did Louis Mal want to cut? I don't know. They said... Uh, uh, although the film was based on events in the actors' lives, Sean and Gregory denied that they were playing themselves. They said that if they remade the film, they would swap the two characters to prove their point. It's fantastic. In an interview with Noah Baumbach in 2009, Wallace Sean said, I actually had a purpose as I was writing this. I wanted to destroy that guy that I played to the extent that there was any of me there. I wanted to kill that side of myself by making the film because that guy is totally motivated by fear. There you go. That's your third uh, meta level. There is is the characters, uh, you know, in in the thing, um, or at least while Sean in the thing, that defensiveness betrays the fact that he is being swayed by what Andre Gregory is saying. Yeah, and then and then even step outside of the meta level is that was the impetus for the writing of the right. character for the self uh, 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 reflection. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, yeah. There we go. Anything else, Clay? What do you... I don't know. I guess that's it. I think that's good. They'll let us know. They'll let us know if it was good or not? Yeah. <laughs> they'll, either, they'll either broadcast this or not. There you go. Well, hey, we watched the movie. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. We had some pizza. Yeah. Not on mic. Not on mic. Uh, now we should watch My Breakfast with Blassie. Have you ever heard of this? No. Uh, a film parodied uh, oh, no. a film parody of My Dinner with Andre in which Andy Kaufman has a discussion over breakfast at a diner with professional wrestling manager Freddie Blassie. <laughs> I've heard of this forever, but I've never seen it. I really want to see that. Well, there you go. In the 1996 Waiting for Guffman, Corky St. Clair is shown in the end credits displaying his action figures based on the film's characters. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, on My Dinner with Andre? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. <laughs> what a what a strange film to 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 seep into the cultural consciousness so yeah. so greatly. Uh, I love it. Totally. Um, all right. Well, Ryan, we've uh, we've got um, an episode of our show yeah, do about things. Jurassic Park to record, so we've got a. <laughs> we must take our leave. Yes, take um, our leave from the table. Uh, but that was, yeah, there you go. That was our yeah. experience with my dinner with Andre. Thanks for having us guys. Yeah. We really um, best of luck with appreciated this, this pod, experiment. Yeah. Love it. Um, I hope that nobody else who does this, uh, had more adroit things to say about the movie. They will. Do you think so? <laughs> yeah, I would say. So. <laughs> yeah. I would wager that is, that is true as, 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 as well. That's okay. That's okay. Um, all right. All right. Bye.